episodes, maybe, or Mark and guest co-host episodes or something. So yeah, I was going to say I'm going to try and get um, a couple of guests along to host with me. So um, Adam over at the UK True Crime Podcast has already said that he'll do one with me, which will be fun. Um, and yeah, I'll just see if there's uh, if anybody else is interested, uh, I'll get them along. And Bob at Twisted uh, Britain was interested, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. So so I think yeah, we'll um, we'll try and mix it up a bit this time. We'll have some guest hosts or guest co-hosts. Uh, there might be the odd episode where it's just me though, which I know you all love. Um, so <laughs> they love to moan about. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I kind of get it. Um, so yeah, so we've got that to look forward to. So Matthew Medley on YouTube asked us to cover the case of Derek Bentley. With just the name, I didn't remember the case, but as soon as I began looking into it for my script, I remembered it really vividly. We all know how much I love a miscarriage of justice, and I do think this is going to prompt some really interesting discussions around the idea of joint enterprise law. So please do come and join us on social media and let us know your thoughts, guys. Yeah, I'll um I'll try and remember to pop a post up uh at the time so we'll we can have a discussion certainly on the Facebook group uh, maybe on Instagram as well. So Derek Bentley was born on the 30th of June 1933 and today's case takes place in 1952. I find cases from this time in history so interesting because life was just really different to what we now know. Bentley's early life was blighted by the war, his family were bombed out three times and on one occasion their home collapsed around them. Something else which is a bit weird to read now and I feel a bit uncomfortable when I describe it is the way that Derek Bentley's mental health and development were tested and reported on. So whilst it might not be the way we would talk about someone today, I will be using the phrases that were used at the time. Derek Bentley went to a secondary modern school in 1944, but fell into a cycle of truancy and petty crime. Just before leaving in 1948, he and another boy were arrested for theft. Six months later, he was sentenced to three years at the then Kingswood-approved school near Bristol. Kingswood was first established in 1748 as a school, and then it became like a reformatory element, and that was set up and established in 1852. It was an alternative for juvenile offenders to adult prison, run on the idea that boys shouldn't be forced into labour but instead given opportunities for recreation and sport and corporal punishment was kept to a minimum. So the boys were given classroom education as well as training in practical things like farming, gardening, shoemaking, tailoring, carpentry, blacksmith, brick making, the list goes on and on. I think that's a great idea, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Me too. That was that would have been really progressive for uh, um, more than 100 years ago to take that approach. And I think we could probably benefit from adopting an approach like that a bit more than, than we currently do. Yeah, I think so too. And in 1933, Kingswood became an approved school known as the Kingswood Training School. So staff would assess the character, mental attainments and the physical abilities of the boys they took in. And then they would choose the best institution for each boy's needs. They administered diagnostic tests on Bentley during his detention there. When he was 15 and a half, he was tested. His mental age was estimated to be just over a 10-year-old. He scored 66 on an IQ test and staff reported that he was lazy, indifferent, voluble and of the wise guy type. Um, Also described as indifferent, smug, self-satisfied and ready to tell tales. 
to be honest, doesn't that just sound like every 15-year-old boy? Like, it, it's kind of like, well, a bit of a wise guy. It does, really. But, I mean, what the hell does voluble mean? I've never heard that word. I don't know, actually. I should have really looked that up. Shall I have a look now? Let's have a look at what voluble means. This is exciting for our listeners while they listen to me Google the word voluble. Someone who talks incessantly. <laughs> so, chatterbox. Yeah, I could probably be described as voluble at times. Oh, that should be our new word. Yeah, we'll take that. And Derek Bentley was then examined twice by EEG, once in 1949, which indicated he had epilepsy, and once in 1950, which had a reading stating abnormal. His parents have said that he had a childhood blighted with health and developmental problems, and in one childhood accident, he'd broken his nose. Since then, he'd had three fits, including one where they said he nearly died of choking. He was released a year early in 1950, although he was still classed as under the care of Kingswood until September 1954. He turned into a recluse on his release, for the rest of the year, he barely left his house. And that really reminded me of Stefan Kisko. People, when you know, when they've been incarcerated, potentially they just can't live a normal life outside of that. Yeah, I suppose it's like um, scary, isn't it? And overwhelming because you've been institutionalised. You've had, you've done things for yourself, but you've lived by a lot of rules and in accordance with a lot of processes. So to then be given so much choice and freedom is I do get that that would be overwhelming and you you might then just want to shield yourself away from the real world and stay inside your own home. And he kind of struggled as well with employment so he did get a job but he injured his back a year later so he'd got a job at a removals firm but obviously injuring his back meant he couldn't do that any further. He was taken on by Croydon Council as a bin man but he wasn't very good at the job a month later, he was demoted to sweep, street sweeper, um, but he also wasn't very good at that. And so he was sacked a month later and he remained unemployed for the rest of his life. After Bentley's arrest in 1952, further IQ tests were administered to him and he was described as borderline feeble minded with a verbal score of 71, an IQ performance IQ of 87 and his full scale IQ was 77. At the time of his arrest in 1952 in November, the prison medical officer said he couldn't even recognise or write down all the letters of the alphabet, describing him as quite illiterate. Which was probably more common back then than it would be now. Yeah. And, and I have kind of skipped ahead a bit there, but I kind of wanted to pick, paint a picture for you of the sort of man that Derek Bentley was in 1952. He had come from a stable background and family. But he was a 19-year-old with the mental age of an 11-year-old who hadn't done well in school couldn't hold down a job and in fact a young man who was rejected from national service because he was called mentally substandard it's just I don't, it really I struggled with that but I, that was the way that they described things then so I, I, I don't know I that doesn't offend me as much as some other terms mm -hmm. that you you would hear um back then or from from that sort of era yeah. um you've painted the picture of a, what I think is like a nice-ish guy that just lost his way and um, tried to reintegrate back into society and hold down a job and then reasons outside of his, of his control prevented him from, from keeping those jobs. So I, I kind of feel sorry for him, but I'm intrigued to know what he's going to go on to do because I'm guessing he is a bad person. Well, I maybe he's not because he's yeah. a miscarriage of justice. I'd yeah. keep him 
in your mind as as this nice guy to be honest but he was he was also really easily led so soon after his release from Kingswood he fell into the company of Christopher Craig Christopher Craig was only 16 years old but he came from a family with criminal connections and was well educated in the ways of the criminal underworld Although three years his senior, Bentley was said to be kind of under the spell of this streetwise cocksure teen, which I loved those phrases. I love that cocksure. Streetwise cocksure teen. I'm not really sure if they knew each other properly from before, but they had attended the same secondary modern school, so they may have been aware of each other. I don't know if they would have been because there's three years age difference, but potentially. On the night of Sunday, November the 2nd, 1952, the pair were going out robbing. It wasn't planned. They met by accident and they just agreed to kind of go and burgle some local businesses, as you do. Bentley was armed with a knife and a knuckle duster that Craig had recently given him. And then Craig had a similar knife, but was also armed with a gun. He'd shortened the barrel of this so it could be carried easily in his pocket. He also carried a number of rounds for the revolver, Um, some of which they were classed as undersized rounds, so he'd modified them by hand to fit that gun. It was quite normal for Christopher Craig to carry a gun. He had been fined not long before for carrying such a weapon. The pair didn't manage to make it into their first two targets, so their third was a warehouse in Croydon. And as they climbed up a drainpipe onto the roof, neighbours spotted them and phoned the police. It was about 9.15 when they were spotted and the police arrived really fast because a patrol car had been driving nearby and so arrived Detective Sergeant Fairfax and a uniformed constable. Fairfax clambered up the drainpipe as well, which just sounds like such 1950s policing. I don't imagine you'd have... Mm. I don't know if they'd climb up a drainpipe anymore. I think I think there'd have to be a health and safety risk assessment first <laughs> I think there would before be, they, they'd there? be allowed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> So he climbed up and cornered the pair that were hiding and Craig then began to taunt the police. So Fairfax kind of grabbed hold of of Derek Bentley and detained him, although didn't officially arrest him, and Craig remained free. Um, It's kind of not surprising that in the excitement of this situation, Fairfax didn't formally arrest Derek Bentley. However, nobody has ever disputed Derek Bentley basically stood calmly and stood there detained and made no attempt to escape so the main controversy of this case is what happened next Fairfax ordered Craig to hand over the gun lad and Bentley apparently shouted let him have it Chris Craig fired his gun and shot Fairfax in the shoulder I needed to point out here that Bentley and Craig have both stated that Bentley didn't say, let him have it, Chris. The police that were there have said that he did say it. Personally, I think it probably was said. Um, and it was quite a key part of the case. So we'll, I'll kind of be presenting it with the belief that this was said. And the whole case centres around the meaning behind those words. Just going to say that because I'm like, so... The Fairfax had said, hand over the gun, lad, and then Bentley shouted, let him have it, Chris. So is that let him have the gun, like hand it over, do as you're told, or is that let him have it and shoot him? Exactly. So yeah, I can see that, yeah, there's a real double meaning, isn't there, there? So really, the whole crux of this case is around that, and whilst they're denying that Bentley ever even said it, I 
it's all a he said, she said, for a number of police officers to independently corroborate that statement. I believe that it was said. Um, but either way, like, did he mean let him have the gun, let him have it? Or either way, Craig had taken a shot at a police officer. And Bentley then told Fairfax, Craig has more ammunition for the gun. At this point, he was still technically free of police control. Fairfax had detained him, but he'd then been shot. So he was in pain and he had let go of Bentley. He did nothing to try and flee. He didn't take out his own weapons. Mm. He just stood there alongside the policeman as if he was under arrest. He had not used either of the weapons in his pockets. They'd stayed there the whole time. Considering Fairfax was injured, like he would have been able to overpower him. He wouldn't have been able to escape, but he didn't. And the pair were stood there whilst a group of uniformed police officers were arriving and kind of coming up onto the roof as well. It must have been really nerve-wracking for the officers as well because gangs of armed young thugs were, at the time, striking terror into Londoners. Violence was apparently really rife and four policemen had been murdered the year prior. So these guys have come up and someone's just shot one of their colleagues. Yeah, and they've probably heard in in the papers about those murders or three people they know because it... That's how it how it would have spread. Word of that would have spread, and they'd be on guard, really, and and yeah, kind of anticipating that this could have been another one of those instances. And I suppose a lot of uh, there would have been a, a lot of guns around at that time because it was post war, um, seven years or so after World War Two, and there would have been a lot of guns. People would have been armed often. Yeah, exactly. People would have potentially come back from the war with their own weapons or they there wasn't the regulation around it. And over the next 20 to 30 minutes, Craig and the police exchanged fire. One bullet struck police constable Sidney Miles between the eyes and killed him instantly. After exhausting his ammunition and being cornered, Craig jumped 30 feet from the roof onto a greenhouse So reports kind of vary on his injuries, but he was taken to hospital having fractured his wrist, his pelvis and or his spine. Um, But 30 feet from the roof into a greenhouse, he's going to have done some damage. And both were taken into custody. Craig and Bentley were indicted for the willful murder of PC Miles. The two cases were, of course, very different. So the case against the shooter, Craig, was very clear later described as very strong, and that any verdict other than guilty of murder would have been perverse. After all, he had chosen to begin and continue with a gunfight with the police. The murder case against Bentley was much more difficult to prove, and this is where we get onto the subject of joint criminal enterprise. So there's a few names for this, common purpose, common design, joint enterprise, and joint criminal enterprise. It's a common law legal doctrine that basically states that all participants in a crime can be liable for all that results from the initial enterprise. So hard to explain in simple language. That that does make sense to me. I I didn't know what it was called, but I have it it's kind of referred to um not necessarily by name, but you do hear cases where um where that is sort of at the fore of what's happened. And and although uh, one person might have actually murdered someone, another person who hasn't murdered that person but was heavily involved will also be uh, sent down for murder, even though they've not actually done anything to, to murder an individual. So you do still see it. It is really interesting, and I think you're right. I think it probably will 
invoke a lot of feelings uh, amongst our listeners as to whether it's right or not. And that's exactly it. When it comes to murder, it all kind of depends on the situation and the plans. So if both parties agreed prior to the event that they're happy to use deadly force and one of them does so, they can both be charged with murder. If it cannot be proven that they were in agreement and one party kills whilst carrying out a plan that the pair put in place, such as like a robbery, the other might be guilty of manslaughter um, because they both agreed to do the initial enterprise, criminal enterprise. So that's basically if me and you said we were going to, I don't know, rob a petrol station or something and um, we both maybe carried guns, we'd not talked about the fact that we might use them, but I then killed the cashier you could be done for manslaughter exactly correct yeah that is fascinating yeah and of course joint enterprise if two people plot to commit murder and both take part equally they are both responsible that's kind of a a, probably an obvious one but just to make that that clear as well that's more common that's probably what you see more often isn't it yeah but i did feel like a really good example here was kim edwards and lucas markham the 14 year olds that were convicted of murder in 2016 um, I covered their case in the episode entitled The Twilight Killers, and obviously... You're obsessed with this one. I've mentioned it a lot, haven't I? But yeah. I won't repeat the whole case for our listeners. If you if you don't remember it or you haven't listened to that one, do go back and listen. But the key point, spoiler alert, is that Lucas killed both victims because Kim was unable to go through with it. But she had been instrumental in the planning. She'd watched. She'd, she'd taken part. So while she didn't physically murder, she was charged and convicted of murder. Um, So, yeah, it's a really interesting doctrine. So, in this case, to charge Derek Bentley with murder, the Crown had to prove that he was a party to a common purpose, an agreement with Craig that they would use any violence necessary to avoid arrest. So, the Crown had to prove that Bentley had incited Craig to shoot PC Miles and PC Fairfax and to kind of get into this gunfight with the words that he used. So, that phrase let him have it was just like the key part to the whole trial due to the serious nature of the crime because it was a murder of a policeman the lord chief justice of england and wales lord goddard presided over the trial at the old bailey um so it took place uh between the 9th of december and the 11th of december 1952 so straight away you can see how short this trial was and i think it's really unfair because he was very biased um you know, he's, I get it because it is a really serious crime, but you're putting someone who's clearly going to be on the side of the police in charge. I don't know. It's a really difficult one. Um, but actually, Goddard had a strong preliminary view of the case. He was accused of actually saying that Craig and Bentley had to be found guilty at all costs prior to the trial. So he already had his ideas. Both Craig and Bentley were charged with the murder of PC Miles and both pleaded not guilty. At the time of the burglary attempt and the PC's death, murder was a capital offence in England and Wales. However, Craig, who was under 18, could not be sentenced to death, despite being the one who fired the fatal shot. Only Bentley faced the death penalty if he was convicted and there was no option for manslaughter because the crime had happened as part of an armed robbery. Okay. So basically it was Derek Bentley is going down for murder or he is innocent. Not necessarily the judge's decision or fault. That's just the law at the time. 
but also it was a capital offence, so he would be put to death if found guilty. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird. It's really weird that he could end up being hung for really what was Craig's crime. So he could be hung for his, his friend's crime. And the case against Craig was not actually as conclusive as it seems on the surface because there was some debate over the bullet, like which bullet had killed PC Miles, whether Craig would have been even able to have a shot and take a shot and then, you know, kill him with that due to the state of his gun. Um, There was talk about potentially the fatal shot had actually come from a different police gun. But this doesn't really matter to the jury because if he hadn't have been armed and he hadn't started shooting at the police, PC Miles wouldn't have been killed. So so ultimately, Christopher Craig was convicted, um, but he was under 18. So the case against Derek Bentley had like a lot more to it. The key defence for Bentley was firstly that he was effectively under arrest when PC Miles was killed, although he wasn't actually arrested. In the witness box, though, he was really unclear. He didn't know if he was or wasn't under arrest. He generally made quite a poor, confused witness. Which isn't surprising because he's got the the mental capacity of an 11-year-old. So even if he's yeah. been coached, he's just not He's not going to be coherent. He's going to be uh, intimidated in that kind of environment. So so he was never going to make a good, a good witness, I guess. No. Um, So the second point for his defence was that he had meant for Craig to give the officer his gun. And nobody could prove that he meant it in an informal way, inciting the other one to shoot. So that was quite a good key part. But obviously the prosecution are going to say, well, he meant it one way and the defence will say it the other. The third kind of thing was that he was unfit to stand trial due to his mental capacity. So the... Principal medical officer, Dr. Matheson, referred Bentley to Dr. Hill, a psychiatrist at the Maudsley Hospital, and Hill's report stated that Bentley was illiterate and of low intelligence, almost borderline retarded, and then Matheson declared that he was of the opinion that whilst agreeing that Bentley was of low intelligence, he was not suffering from epilepsy at the time of the offence, and he was not a feeble-minded person under the Mental Deficiency Acts, so he was sane and fit to plead and stand trial. Um, so again, it's it's these words and the way that they're describing things. It just seems so unnatural to us now, but this is how that it would have, and this would have been official language, I suppose, as well at the time. Because like the board, borderline retarded is much more offensive to me than feeble-minded person. Mm-hmm. Like that word, we just Definitely. we really wouldn't use the word retarded now. It's really God, offensive. No. no, exactly. So the case against Derek Bentley rested on three main points. So firstly, he'd gone out to the robbery voluntarily and was armed. So he had a knife and a knuckle duster. Secondly, Fairfax had not formally charged Bentley. It was probably the last thing on his mind at that time. But if he could have done so, it would have saved Bentley because being under arrest is a strong defence. And frustratingly, Derek Bentley wasn't able to kind of stand up for himself on on the stand and say actually I was under arrest he just didn't I have don't get that though the why, ability to I do don't that. understand that why would that have been a strong defense if he was technically under arrest because he wasn't then part of the crime at the time he would have been under control of the police it's a weird thing isn't it it's a very weird one but because if he'd have been arrested they'd have been in control of him at that point yeah. so he wouldn't have been free to act how he wanted 
And then finally, the phrase for the prosecution were, they were adamant that this meant Craig had, he told Craig to shoot the police officer. So as I said before, evidence was really short and the whole trial took just three days. The judge's summing up was really biased against the two accused. The language that he used was described by the Court of Appeal as not that of a judge, but of an advocate. He referred to the highest gallantry, um, the conspicuous bravery and the devotion to duty of the police. But the judge described Bentley's wickedness, his horrible and dreadful knuckle duster. He also called the steak knife that Bentley was carrying a dagger. So straight away, he's really using his language to influence the jury. Yeah, it's really emotive sort of language, isn't it? Such emotive language. Rather than instructing the jury to find them innocent and less proven guilty, Goddard actually instructed the jury, if you find good ground for convicting them, it is your duty to do it if you are satisfied with the evidence for the prosecution. (laughs) The second court of appeal actually described the summing up as prejudicial and unfair, but not that knowing this years later really helped at the time. After just 75 minutes of deliberation, the jury found them both guilty. And the jury did make a request for mercy in the case of Bentley. Which means not, um, which yeah, is, not capital punishment. Exactly. So they are saying, we find him guilty, but we would like potentially for him not to be put to death. At the time, a murder conviction carried a mandatory death sentence. So therefore, Goddard sentenced Bentley to be hanged. Craig was only ordered to be detained during Her Majesty's pleasure because he was 16. He eventually served 10 years. And after his release, he got married. He became a plumber later. And I will return to him a bit later on. But it was good to know that he got somewhere in life and had a decent life rather than carrying on with criminal acts. And also, he was just a stupid teen, I think. And mm. It it made me happy that he could be yeah. rehabilitated. Yeah, because I'm, I'm glad we'll come back to him. I don't know in what capacity, but uh, like I wonder if he's still alive today and um, um and the life that he led. But equally, I just, I don't know exactly what, what ended up happening to Bentley. You'll come on to it in a minute. But I just think how how awful Bentley must have felt that Craig is essentially, he's not got away with it, but he was out of prison at 26 and went on to live a lovely life. And Bentley, who didn't really do anything as bad as Craig, is going to go down for a long time or potentially be hung. Yeah. So Derek Bentley was scheduled to be hanged on the 30th of December 1952, but this was postponed to allow for an appeal. So his lawyers filed appeals that highlighted the ambiguities of the ballistic evidence, Bentley's mental age, and the fact that he did not fire that fatal shot. His appeal was heard on the 13th of January 1953, but was dismissed because the Court of Appeal found no reason to question the handling of the case. So his fate now rested entirely with the Home Secretary, who had the right to recommend to the Queen that she reprieve the condemned prisoner without giving his reasons for this decision. He could simply just say, and then she could then commute his death sentence to life imprisonment. There was a lot of political pressure to commute Bentley's sentence, including a memorandum signed by over 200 members of Parliament. Despite several attempts, though, Parliament was given no opportunity to debate the issue until the sentence had been carried out, which is just Yeah, what's the point of that? Mm -hmm. The public were in uproar. People were protesting outside the prison, but to no avail. At 9am on the 28th of January 1953... 
Bentley was hanged at Wandsworth Prison. Oh no, that is like literally the worst possible outcome. I was hoping as a minimum that he would get sentenced to uh, like uh, a life sentence with say like 18 years and then would have been released. I just think this is so, for me, this is so unfair. Craig is the one that murdered that police officer and shot the other one. And Bentley's the one that's hanged for that crime, even though, yes, he was there and complicit to a certain extent. But it's just, I find that so unfair. There has been a lot of discussion around the reasons for Bentley being hanged for the crime. So even with such uproar from the police, uh, from the public and politicians, um, there's a lot of talk about the fact that this was a police officer. Um, and that that does ring true for me. I think this was a police officer. He Bentley was used as an example. It was a case of someone has to pay for this. I might obviously be wrong. And there are so many other theories you can find online um, discussing the political pressures at the time and things like that. That's my gut feeling. Um, the judge has since said that he didn't think Bentley would actually hang, but he didn't pass on that jury request for mercy. So I just don't believe him. I just, he knew that he mm. was going to hang. Yeah, he probably had pressure on him. Um to ensure that that happened. And I do get it. I do get when a police officer is murdered in the line of duty. It's an appalling thing to happen and there will be serious consequences for it. So I think someone had to pay, but I think it should have been Craig. And following the execution, there was a public sense of kind of unease and then a long campaign was started to secure this posthumous pardon for Derek Bentley. So the campaign was initially led by Bentley's parents until their deaths in the 1970s, after which the drive to clear Bentley's name was led by his sister Iris. When Iris died, the campaign was continued by her daughter Maria, who hadn't even been born at the time of Bentley's execution. On the 29th of July 1993, Bentley was granted a royal pardon in respect of his death sentence. Whilst this was a start, it didn't actually quash his conviction for murder. And then in April 1997, the case was presented to the Criminal Cases Review Commission, who referred it to the Court of Appeal in the November. And finally, the appeal was heard from July the 20th to the 24th in 1998. On the 30th of July 1998, they gave their judgment that the conviction was unsafe and Bentley was given a posthumous pardon, saying that the judges summing up had been misleading. He had misdirected the jury. They did say this doesn't necessarily mean Bentley was innocent, but his trial had not been fair. So finally, some justice. And this is why I don't agree with the death exactly penalty. Exactly the same here. So I thought I'd finish this episode with the statement that Christopher Craig made about the pardon, which I thought was so brave to come out to court, to stand outside court and to take responsibility really because he'd made a stupid mistake as a teen he had done his time and then he lived a normal life away from crime yeah and he absolutely wouldn't have had to do that he didn't have to turn up to court all those years later I mean what's that that's like pushing 40 years on and um and make a statement which I know you'll go on to say but um but yeah like good for him yeah so I I thought this was quite a nice way to end the episode he said Today, after 46 years, the conviction of Derek Bentley has been quashed and his name cleared. While I am grateful and relieved about this, I am saddened that it has taken those 46 years for the authorities in this country to admit the truth. 
I am truly sorry that my actions on the 2nd of November 1952 caused so much pain and misery for the family of PC Miles, who died that night doing his duty. Also for the Bentley family, I regret that Iris, Derek's sister, who fought all those years for Derek's pardon, died recently before this appeal was concluded. Finally, I apologise to my family, who have had to endure press attention over the years. At the end of the day, the lawyers decided it was not necessary for me to give evidence at the appeal hearing, but I was ready and willing to do so in the interests of justice. A day does not go by where I don't think about Derek, and now his innocence has been proven with this judgment. Now, at last, this case is over. My gratitude goes to those who have fought so tirelessly for justice. You can really sort of see the contrition on Craig's part there, can't you? He he really does... I suppose, feel a lot of guilt of yeah, what happened and, and how he essentially got away with it and went on to lead a normal life with a little bit of press intrusion, but essentially a normal life where he learnt from his mistakes and um, had the life that um, Bentley never got to lead. So a really sad case um, and really interesting to look at. Yeah, it's kind of left me feeling a bit sad this one but for different reasons normally it's because um of of the victim and of course um sympathies to the the two victims really in this case um both both of those police officers but but I do I really feel for Derek Bentley um that that's what I'm most sad about I think and like you said I think this is a key example when we go back and forth and we always talk about what's your opinion on death penalty blah blah, blah. this is one of those cases where we can quite you know happily say this is why we couldn't be behind something like capital punishment being brought back in i love i love how we literally like it the the decision to bring it back in rests on our shoulders <laughs> we've got the power i think for me it's not just it's not just the, this specific reason in that um somebody could be innocent or shouldn't have been committed to death and then it's too late it's also because i just personally think nobody has the right to take um, the life of another person and I, I I think it makes you just as bad as that murderer if you're the one flicking the switch on the electric chair I think you are as bad as, as them and, and what they've done so I, I just think nobody should have that right but equally yeah this is another facet to it of uh, you can't undo this but equally you can't undo the 20 years some people might spend in prison when they've been wrongly convicted but that's definitely not as bad as um, them being hanged for their crime you definitely can't undo that no and the other thing i found really interesting with this case is the idea of joint enterprise and i found that really interesting to read into and learn a bit more about so so yeah thank you so much for your for your request for the case because i really enjoyed reading into it yeah that was um, a, a bit of a different case and certainly an older one we we quite often don't go back that far um i avoid that kind of era like the plague the furthest i would ever go back is whereas the 80s, i like an and that's because i love the 80s I like the difference in our life i don't lifestyles now and yeah and I, I i enjoyed that and found it fascinating and um yeah but i, I don't know i just have this real rigid rule that i'll never go back further than the 80s so it's probably good we balance each other out we at least do, i get to listen we? to some old ones yeah definitely the 80s is my preferred decade that's for sure well there we go guys maybe with if you do do an episode with bob from twisted britain as a co-host you'll have to listen to another old episode it will be yeah bob goes way back um yeah thank you for listening again guys and uh we'll be back next week it might just be me it might be me and someone else um or it might be me and bethan who knows who so. knows it might just be me 
that would be weird that would be weird um yeah so we will see you next week guys thanks for listening bye bye